Greetings. This is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for discovering ultimate meaning and purpose. And indeed, there is an ultimate destiny for your life, and there is an ultimate purpose for this whole creation and why it exists. And it is found in the very source of an ultimate perfection of love, the one true eternal God. For those of you that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where you will find very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me. And in that flip book, you'll find a lot of the print is highlighted in red, which are links to very amazing and profound YouTube videos that are confirming from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. I am here to share with those that have come to know the one true eternal God, for whom to know is life eternal. In the Old Testament of the Bible, in the Hebrew original language, the word for God is often the word Elohim, which means literally the Almighty is referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the word for Lord is Yahweh. Often others say Yehovah, but a more accurate expression is Yahweh. Usually it's the Lord God, Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And indeed, for God to be Almighty, He must rule over all realms that exist. And the ultimate realities are that there is three ultimate aspects of existence which are beyond time and space, in time and space, and filling all space. As God the Father, beyond creation. The full expression of the Father is Jesus Christ, which is clearly mentioned in Hebrews 1.3. The word son means basically expression. So does the word word basically mean expression. Jesus Christ is the full expression of the perfection of the being of God into the time and space creation realm to communicate with his creation and experience it of course, on a limited creature level in communication. And then there's God, the Holy Spirit, the ultimate aspect of existence, which is omnipresence, God in his spirit, attached to every particle of existence with his ultimate intelligence and power, creative power, with his spirit, in omnipresence, filling all dimensions of time, space, and other dimensions that exist, the 10 dimensions discovered by particle physics, or I should say 11, some think it's 11, whatever, but all the dimensions in creation and beyond, yes, the Holy Spirit. And so there is one almighty God. And I'm just wanting to share with you how I share these messages. 
The word of God commands in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is referring to when believers come together. They are to come together and to allow the Spirit of God to speak through them, to stir up the gift of God's Spirit that is within them so that it comes forth in words beyond their own as the oracles of God. This is further explained in Revelations 19.10, which says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in spirit and in truth out of a pure heart and great reverence and love for God, we who know God, who have come to know the one true eternal God, are filled with his spirit and an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are coming, that are, as the oracles of God, are speaking prophetically. It comes out of a heart set and mind shed of worship, and that is what testifies to the reality of God, to the reality of God in Jesus Christ communicated personally to us. And so I am here to share with you that I will seek to speak this message as the oracles of God out of a heart set and a mind set of worship. It is greatly lacking in the body of Christ. How many church services do you go to where somewhere between 10 and 25 people in a congregation of about 200 or 500 spontaneously without having to use the mic or ask permission to use the mic can speak up and sing a song out. Maybe the spirit of God rises in them and they don't know what they're going to sing, but they just know that they're supposed to sing a song. And it comes out in a beautiful, even sometimes poetic way. By the gifting of the spirit of God. Another one gives a word of encouragement, another one a word of exhortation, another one a prophetic word or a word of knowledge, another one a testimony. That should be the norm in every meeting. And it is sad that it's not so in the vast majority of those churches that even know and have an intimate relationship with God. But God is bringing a new order into the body of Christ that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Jesus Christ from inhabiting the body. And one of the things that will happen is that there will be the facilitation of each member to flow freely under the leading of the Holy Spirit in the gifts of the Spirit. We're so laid back and used to everyone at the front doing all the performance. God is calling his church to come to a place where we're more conscious of Christ in our midst, where we start out on our knees and faces in prayer before God. Forget about pre-service prayer meetings. Your church service should start as a prayer meeting. It is time to repent and turn back to what God is wanting. He is wanting his house of prayer restored and his house of holiness restored that his glory might dwell in fullness in our midst. One of the things I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is I cast lots on the word of God to get the possibility of any chapter. And I use two independent random applications to get two chapters so that the one chapter will bear witness with the other chapter that the lot is from God because there's the same theme in those two chapters that comes forth. This is done with great reverence and prayer before God and not in a light way. And God's not calling everyone to do what I do, but this is the way I do it. And I find that when those two chapters come together, 
It's always very synergistic and amplifies all the more what God is wanting to say by His Spirit to the churches. The Word of God says in Matthew 25, If any man speak, let him... No, pardon me. Matthew 25 says, Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord cometh shall find so doing. Doing what? Giving the sheep their meat in due season, in the right timing. God is wanting us to always be speaking what he is speaking at that moment that the sheep need. Very lacking in the leadership. Very lacking in the leadership to facilitate the congregation and to strongly encourage them to be moving in the gifts of the Spirit. And God is restoring all of these things in the last days. He is calling for his headship to come in fullness over every local congregation. And those who want to stay back and just have church the way it was, well, it's not going to be long when God will pass by and remove your candlestick because you refuse to repent of loving the world. You refuse to turn back and become his house of prayer. He is raising up a standard by his spirit of this hour and those that will seek him with all their heart until he is found of them. And I want to share with you today the two passages of scripture I received by the casting of Lot and speak from them. I also cast Lot out of 1,157, I believe it is, songs. And today it was by Lot. There are many times I just choose it otherwise. But I cast Lot to get a worship song to go with the message. <coughs> and so today, we're going to now have that worship song that was taken by Lot before God. So here it is. Coming in a moment. Oh, 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 oh. 
How wonderful. They make, they make. Their valley of trial and of trouble, the place of tears, the place that becomes 
the place of abundance of life, of the flow of God's living rivers. How true it is that out of death comes life. Paul said, death works in us that life might work in you. And he said that they carried about in their body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in them. I want to share with you now the two passages of Scripture that I received today by the casting of Lot. First, I want to point out that for about the last four or five days, the Scriptures that I received the day before are obviously related to what I'm sharing today. It's kind of like a springboard. What was shared yesterday is a springboard of what God gave by the casting of Lot today, and it is obviously far beyond coincidence that this could possibly happen over and over and over again. So today, on Friday, December the 23rd of 2022, I received Psalms 96 and Deuteronomy 30. The common theme between these two chapters springs from the message yesterday, as I mentioned. It is that God will judge the world in righteousness and his people that have fallen into captivity. Loving the world, for example, as most of the church is today, they're in captivity and they don't even know it. But he will judge his people that have fallen into captivity and bring them forth from that captivity into great liberty and establish the whole earth in his reign of life and liberty beyond any comprehension as to the blessing and how great it would, will be when he returns to the world. There will be congregations throughout the world when the Lord returns that will fulfill the zeal of his heart, which is John 17. He is seeking for a victorious bride that is pure, without spot and without wrinkle. Nothing less. He is seeking for that in his people. That doesn't mean that we're not like King David and others that have had mistakes and fallen. But we've, we are those that genuinely fear God and genuinely repent and confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as we continue to seek to walk in a way that is pleasing to God, that is pure and holy, we overcome these things and come to a place of great victory in our lives where we're not stumbling, where we're not falling into sin where we become fully dead to those things that are such lying, deceptive vanities that sometimes draw us away in a path that is unto our undoing. So I want to first of all read a little bit from Psalms 96, and I want to point out after... <clears throat> What I feel was brought forth in the last two days that relates to today. Particularly, it wasn't so much yesterday, but the day before yesterday. 
when I received Hosea chapter 2 as one of the scriptures. And so I will go back to Hosea chapter 2 just to mention this particular part, which when I gave my message that time, I didn't really emphasize too much this part. But later as I reflected on, my, on it in my thoughts, God was reading my thoughts and decided to bring that aspect for today in the message from what was read in Hosea chapter 2. And so we read here in Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, And it shall be at that day, saith Yahweh, that thou shalt call me Ishai, which means husband, and shall call me no more Balai, which means master or lord, and I want to emphasize the difference between these two words here. Because Cain developed an idolatrous perception of God as a master that he had to appease with his hard-earned sweat of the brow, his own righteousness and self-sufficiency. What developed that wrong idolatrous perception of God as some tyrant that demanded appeasement was that he was looking at the suffering of his own life because of the consequences of the fall of man, fall of Adam and Eve, and all the suffering around him and all the hard work he had to do. And he was looking at all the suffering around him and he got focused on that to the point that there was an attitude, an element of unthankfulness in his heart. an element of doubt that did not perceive God as ultimately trustworthy because he was viewing the holiness of God. And the holiness of God is really the integrity of God's love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love. But he was viewing that and he was focusing on the consequences instead of recognizing the goodness of God's purpose and allowing these consequences. And so that element of unthankfulness developed into a wrong perception of God, an alienation in his heart, an enmity in some measure in his heart, though he still acknowledged God and that he must submit to him. It was, oh, I must submit to you because you're the ultimate power. It wasn't an attitude of, God, you are good. Your judgments, though they're so severe in my life and I don't understand them, they're good because you have an ultimate purpose that will not tolerate corruption, which means there's a destiny that I will eventually enter where there is no corruption, as is clearly described in the book of Second Peter. Yeah, when we're going through trials, our faith is being tried, and it is like gold being smelted, and all the dross is coming to the surface. But are we going to recognize and trust God through that trial because we, we recognize him as ultimately trustworthy because his holiness, which is the integrity of his love, is good? And so we have this idolatrous perception of God as merely a master because the word Balaam basically means master, Lord. The word husband has the understanding of, that you're in love with someone, that you're married to someone, 
that you're in a love relationship with them. And so we're reading here in Hosea chapter 2. That in that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me husband and shalt call me no more Balai or master. For I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth. The root of Balaam is from the worship of Cain, the idolatrous monotheistic perception of God that results in polytheism as well. Because when you begin to believe that God is that way, you can easily think, well, maybe there are other gods. Maybe there are other powers besides this God. Maybe God is just an outer space creature, some superintelligence. So maybe there's other superintelligences out there. You know, that's, that's the kind of deception that happened in the beginning. And in that day will I make a covenant for them. That's those that come to recognize the Lord as their husband. A covenant with them with the beasts of the field with the creation around. Isn't that interesting? With the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground, I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. That's the millennial reign of Christ where the lion lies down with the lamb, where this child can put his hand into the adder's cave and not be bitten. And will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever without end. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know Yahweh. You see, there's a difference between knowing something intellectually like Cain did and having a heart that truly turns to God. A heart that truly turns to God is a heart that enters the genuine fear of God, that has a genuine turning in the heart to reciprocate God first in his holiness as viewing it as good, despite the severity of the consequences that we experience and others around us. Our focus is not on that. It is on the goodness of God, that he would be integrous to judge sin and allow those consequences so that there can be an ultimate destiny where corruption is defeated, where the kingdom of heaven comes to the earth. And this is certainly describing that time when the Lord returns to the earth. Now I want to go to the passages that were given today by the casting of Lot before God, which was Psalms 96 and Deuteronomy 30. Now in Psalms 96, I'm going to begin reading from verse 9 to the end. Oh, worship Yahweh in the beauty of holiness. There's a beauty that comes out of the integrity of God's love. The integrity of God's love is always choosing the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Obviously, any lesser choice would have a measure of corruption in it. The integrity of God's love is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is an all-consuming, jealous love that will not tolerate corruption in your life or in a relationship that you have with others. 
O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him. We are commanded to fear God because fearing God is a choice to recognize and reciprocate God is ultimately trustworthy. And the only way that you can possibly reciprocate God is ultimately trustworthy is when you perceive that his holiness is good. And out of that, you will recognize that since God is good, if you didn't know that the Messiah was coming and you were living in the pre-Christ times, for example, or even some savage could come to this conclusion independent of all the rebellious culture that has been formed around that savage from generations that have rebelled against God and formed an anti-God culture. But you're recognizing that God is good. Hallelujah. And so you reciprocate his goodness and you recognize that his goodness if since god is so severe on sin because he's that good that he must be good enough also to provide his destiny because he wouldn't be good if he created a creation that couldn't have a destiny and a purpose that wouldn't make sense that would mean god was imperfect so obviously his goodness therefore if it has a destiny for us that means that he must have the power to forgive us and of course that has been the message from the beginning that god without violating the integrity of his love which is his holiness has the power to forgive and the only one that could possibly do that is God himself becoming a perfect atoning sacrifice. And God revealed it to many by his spirit before he came from the time of Adam on. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. The Lord rules. Okay, that's what he's emphasizing. He shall judge the people righteously. This is the emphasis. God will bring righteous judgment upon the earth and in our own lives. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. You see, we were talking in Hosea about what basically is described in Romans 8 which is the manifestation of those that are the true children of God or the sons and daughters of God, will bring the liberation of the whole creation as it mentions there in Romans chapter 8. And that was what we saw described in Hosea 2. And I think one of the things I forgot to emphasize about Hosea 2 is the last part of Hosea 2. Maybe I can go up there. I hope it was pasted. If it wasn't, I will just mention it. It says here in Hosea 2 that this covenant between the creation, which is the liberation of the creation, that the root of it is that he will hear the heavens, and the heavens, it's another place in Hosea, and the heavens will hear the earth, and the earth will hear the corn and the wine, and then the corn and the wine 
book here, Jezreel, which means it will be sown of God. That's what the word Jezreel means. God is receiving the harmonious love vibrations that are coming from the heavens that are actually being received by the heavens from what's on the earth. And that is going to God who has sown in his people that righteousness that is not of themselves, but is of him. So I want to go into this a little bit more as to what I am talking about here. Then shall the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord, for he cometh, he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Now, the other passage I got today was Deuteronomy 30. <coughs> and I mean, this could be a two-hour message and I have to just do it quickly. But I want to show from Deuteronomy 30 the same <coughs> theme here. <coughs> Pardon me, I'm getting over a bit, bit of a cough. And it shall come, this is Deuteronomy 30, beginning of verse 1, and it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whether the Lord thy God has scattered thee. <clears throat> this is a clear prophecy that this would happen to Israel given way back in Deuteronomy 30 by Moses that they would be led into captivity because they would fall short. It is in the captivity that God deals with them, corners them to face their <clears throat> state of total undoneness and helplessness in the light of God's holiness. Remember, it says in Hosea that in the place <clears throat> where they were called the people of God. They shall no longer, it shall be the place where they will say, I'm not the people of God. In other words, they're come to the place where they are just totally in unbelief. And if you look at Israel today and you go to the city of Tel Aviv, most of them are atheists. About 50% of them, a little bit more than 50% are Orthodox Jews. But there's a percentage that are atheists. They become delicious, disillusioned with mere performance of outward righteousness. And they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, have gone about to establish their own righteousness, as Paul the Apostle mentions in Romans. But there's coming a time when the captivity and the pressure of that captivity will be so great that two-thirds of the nation of Israel, as described in Zechariah 12, will be captured and tortured, etc., etc. But one-third he will bring through the fire and purify them. 
and they will be the remnant of his people that will be in the millennial reign with Christ along with the Gentiles throughout the world that will be gathered in congregations that have come under the fullness of the headship of Christ to fulfill John 17. And at that time, there will be a great destruction and earthquake as described in many places in Isaiah as well as Revelation at the return of Christ. They will cause all the cities of the earth to be flattened. But wherever God's people are, they will be protected from that and those buildings of theirs will not be flattened. And at that same time, the presence of God will fill the atmosphere of the earth in such a way that the wicked, if they, when they breathe in the air, will become like ashes. They will be burned alive and will end up in eternal torment, many of them in hell. That then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord thy God has scattered thee. <clears throat> if any of thine be driven out unto the uttermost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee, and from thence will he fetch thee. Wow. Even if they go into outer space, he's going to get them back. Can you imagine that? And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God, here's something to note. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God, which in the original is Yahweh thy Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To love Yahweh, the Almighty's, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. In the last days, Israel as a nation will be converted to him and they will experience a circumcision in their heart, a rebirth. And from the time of Adam, people have experienced genuinely being born again of the spirit. How do you think Enoch was so close to God that he was translated? Do you think he wasn't born of the spirit? Of course he was. He knew the circumcision of God in his heart. That is, that two-edged sword of the holiness of God, the integrity of his love, and the mercy of God, <laughs> the grace of God. And they will know. As it says, they will look on me. That's speaking of God. They will look on me whom they have pierced. That's a prophecy in Zechariah chapter 12. At that time, Christ will be on the Mount of Olives. And they will turn and they will mourn. And in that mourning, there will be a deep circumcision of conversion in their heart. And they will be born again of the Spirit of God. And the Lord thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day at that time in the last days. And it goes on to emphasize the blessing of God that will happen, which is basically the millennial reign of Christ that we've already been describing. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in the book of the law, and if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, 
For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden. And I, I could go on, but for time I'm skipping it. It's basically saying this in the end. They're, you know, they're thinking, well, they have to do some great deed to find out how to be righteous with God. And he's saying, no. In verse 14, but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. But they had to go through the experience of the deception of their own heart that led them into a captivity. And so towards the end of this passage, it's again in the present instead of describing the future. And so it's warning them of the consequences they will experience if they do not keep the commandments of the Lord. And it goes on to say in verse 20, the last verse, that if you keep his commandments, then it says this, that if thou mayest love the Lord thy God, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God. The issue is loving God from our heart, not performance in keeping something to appease God, but having a true love relationship with God. And God always emphasized, even in the context of the Ten Commandments, two things, loving God with all your being, and fearing God, because fearing God is reciprocating in great reverence and love. That God is ultimately trustworthy because his holiness is good. And because that his goodness is so great, that his mercy is so great to forgive those that come to him in true repentance. <clears throat> they knew the assurance of God's forgiveness back then. They experienced being born again of the Spirit. King David did. Many there was always a remnant that did. But in the last days, the whole nation that comes through, this, this one-third of the nation that comes through, will be truly those that have been circumcised in their heart as the Messiah reveals himself to them. That thou mayest obey his voice, that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to this message, and I am praying that you will wake up in your own life personally and that you will begin to be used out of great humility and love for, with the people that God has planted you with to wake them up, to repent, and to return to their first love and to become his conquering bride church. And as I have mentioned in many of my messages, I have a book called God, Headship and Body Invasion on Amazon, which you can order, <coughs> which <coughs> is in Kindle and print format as of this time, that gives all the details of what you could do in your congregation to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local congregation. I even suggest the best times for meetings that is far better to have a four-hour meeting that starts around two o'clock or one o'clock or whatever you want. Only suggestions so that you break through as a congregation. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to this message.